Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Marketers, with the end of the third-party cookie fast approaching, it's important to assess what you know about the new solutions being developed. In the latest Institute for Brand Marketing course, Marketing in a Cookie-less World, learn how this industry change may impact your business and how advanced technologies like AI can serve as an alternative to cookies. Designed in collaboration with IBM Watson Advertising and Adweek, this complimentary course offers lessons that take approximately 10 minutes each to complete. Get started today. Visit adweek.com forward slash IBM to get started. That's adweek.com forward slash IBM. Welcome to the first episode of 2021 of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. I'm Ko M, your community editor and podcast co-host. Uh, we have a special uh, politically themed episode for us today, and we are joined by um, three important folks who worked on um, the Biden media campaign. So uh, we want to say hello. And before we begin um, to have the kind of deeper discussion on um, what was a huge spending and testing um, year in politics, uh, we wanted to to get a little bit of background. So why don't we um, start with um, Patrick Bonsignor? Um, what was your role and um, how do you relate to the media and ad? Sure, absolutely. And, and thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to uh, to join. I'm like a, a legitimate longtime listener, first time caller here. So uh, so that's fun. Um, my name is Patrick Bonsignori. I was the paid media director uh, at Biden for president. Um, what that basically means is, you know, any advertising uh, that we are doing, whether it's across television, radio, digital, um, you know, over was overseen by our department. Um, a little on my background, you know, I come from the agency world. You know, there's sort of this uh, ecosystem in the D.C. Uh, space of firms that specialize on in political and issue advocacy advertising and spend some time at a couple agencies there prior to uh, Biden for president and joined the campaign prior to launch. So I've been with Team Biden for the long haul. Great. And you will stay on at, of sorts? So now that the campaign's over, you know, my job is, is complete. Um, but uh, but um, yes, you know, joined prior to 
uh, prior to launching the campaign in 2019. Great. And working very closely with you was Amy Romanow. Hi, Amy. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I was the director of stories on the paid media team. And that essentially just meant all of the testimonial content. So the real, real people, real Americans and their stories. Um, And I have a similar background as Patrick coming from the agency world. And I'm also in D.C. Um, And over the years have sort of transitioned a bit more into the production side. So for the last bunch of years have been a uh, agency producer um, with creative agencies. Awesome. Um, and last but not least, uh, Todd Harris, uh, what was your role in everything? Yeah. Um, so my name is Todd Harris. I am director of applied data science at Civis Analytics. Um, we worked hand in hand with the Biden campaign um, throughout the cycle. Um, and my job is essentially to kind of translate some complicated analytics and data science so folks like Patrick and Amy can not just really understand data, but um, make some uh, substantive and consequential decisions off of it. Um, so we ran a testing program uh, for uh, the Biden media team to rapidly, um, within 24 hours, uh, test new creatives to make sure that they could use the most effective ones. And uh, we also ran an opposition uh, testing uh, program where we tested the opposition's creatives within 24 hours to make sure that they could uh, understand what to respond to and what to ignore. Great. And we will definitely dig into that. Um, there are a lot of interesting nuggets here. I'm told that it's the first time political campaigns kind of took it in-house and that the paid media operation was the single biggest resource allocation of the campaign um, with it, the comparison that in 2012, the Obama campaign budget was roughly half of that in the Biden team. So Patrick, I, I want to get your overview of, you know, what was the strategy here? How did things um, start to shift and where did you uh, put put resources? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. You know, I think it's hard to contextualize this campaign uh, and this moment we're in without talking about, you know, the pandemic that we're in. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, we grew from a team of about eight to a team of about 60 um, from the primary through the general election you know, most of those folks have never met in person. Um, and because of the pandemic, sort of counterintuitively, we were able to recruit, you know, a different type of talent than you might typically see, you know, involved in political advertising. You know, we had folks come in from Netflix shows and from Sony Pictures who were working, you know, completely remotely, obviously, um, and producing advertising for us. So I think the first piece is, you know, how did we, how were we lucky to build the team that we did? And, you know, we kind of deconstructed uh, a creative agency, you know, within the campaign um, that involved having, you know, a writer's room and having a, a bank of really talented post-production editors, a really talented creative director, um, you know, and that was one piece of it. And then, you know, to your second kind of question there about media allocation and, and budget allocation, um, you know, we did see shifts in media consumption. You certainly, you know, ratings for live television events, whether it was Dancing with the Stars or a, or a national college football game, we saw those sort of skyrocket early on. And then we saw a longer tail of just broader and increased digital consumption with specific things like gaming also increase. So, you know, it's hard to talk about any of this without talking about COVID-19. And, you know, that impacted the way we built our team, the way we made our ads, our media strategy, and the way people were going to vote. So, you know, that I think is sort of first and first and foremost, one of the one of the big pieces that we came to terms with in, in just approaching all of this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amy, you come from the the world of production. Obviously, that had to to come into play with the pandemic. Can you speak a little bit more to that? And then also, my background is news. Uh, I not only you know interviewed the real people, but also the the newsmakers. At one point, you know, I, I was reporting in the White House during the Obama years. But curious to how, you know, with the creative lineup that Patrick mentioned, how things felt uh, different, challenging, and maybe even satisfying uh, for you and your team as you found the stories to to tell and how to tell them. Yeah, those are such a good question. I think on the first part, from the production side of things, what was most interesting to me in the years that I've been doing this on various campaigns you know, you, it would often be me or someone else, but, you know, you're kind of flying around the country um, to collect these stories. And and a strange blessing was, I think that so many people in the country and so many industries experienced, but um, having to be flexible and adapt actually made us, I think, better and more efficient. So I think we were able to film so much more than we would have been able to because I wasn't flying around the country. So we had just like top tier DPs and production folks spread around the country. And then we would use a capture box essentially to be virtually on set through Zoom. So sometimes I could be filming multiple uh, multiple spots a day. Um, and so that's something that I'm so curious to see how this, how this gets applied in the future because I, I really think that this is something that might end up being a game changer in our industry. Um, and then I think in terms of just interviewing people, you know, again, the pa- the pandemic, both in my opinion, made people almost seem like they wanted to share more compared to years that I've been doing this in the past, because I think people were feeling isolated. And obviously, this was um, just such an incredibly emotional year and political cycle. So I, I felt that people wanted to talk more than I expected. Um, and then also because we were in such a heated climate there, people were obviously scared. Um, so I think navigating that was something really unique and interesting. Um, and then not to sound cheesy, but to me, why this, the testimonial, the real people stuff has always felt most compelling to me is because it just shows really just how much the people we elect matters and people's lives are so deeply affected. And um, just on a personal level, for me, that just always felt like the most powerful and compelling um, to have had this role and really being able to talk to families and voters and how their lives, um, you know, are affected. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do want to take a second to play um, a little bit of Make Life Better. Good to see you. How are you? Oh, right. Isaac, good to see you. How are you, man? Meet you, Mr. Vice President. I love you. I just wanted to say hi. But but I can't (laughs) preach like you guys can. (laughs) America is a place for everyone. Those who chose this country, those who fought for it, some Republicans, some Democrats, and most just somewhere in between, all looking for the same thing, someone who understands their hopes, their dreams, their pain, to listen, to bring people together, to get up every day and work to make life better for families like yours, to look you in the eye, treat you with respect, and tell you the truth to work just as hard for the people who voted for him as those who didn't, to be a president for all Americans. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Okay, so 
you know, in terms of messaging, and obviously, you know, there was a lot of emotional messaging throughout the year from various brands um, and campaigns. And that's kind of been a, a factor of making things personal, right, over political campaigns. But this year, there were some specificities, um, such as avoiding spots that feel overtly political. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, uh, Todd, how did you test um, all of these spots that you know were a plenty, <laughs> and then test them at rapid speed. And then you can also mention how the Biden team tested Trump ads to kind of anticipate the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some background on how uh, kind of general testing has worked in the past in in politics. Generally, it's all done uh, via polling, where you read a bunch of messages to voters over the phone and ask them what they think is compelling and not. And obviously that introduces a lot of biases and has its fair share of problems. Um, and when you're doing it over the phone, uh, you can't test uh, ads um, and uh, show content to folks. Um, and so our methods um, and what we've pivoted to in the past couple of years um, is by running a randomized controlled trials, you know, a scientific experiment um, with survey respondents online. Um, we split survey respondents into control and treatment groups, uh, control getting no ads and treatment groups each getting exposed to one ad. And we use a lot of uh, fancy data science to um, essentially make sure that the groups are representative and we're measuring the impact of being exposed uh, to an ad. Um, and so uh, we, have, we have essentially built up um, a, a series of web panel relationships uh, to allow us to um, you know, what, as soon as we got an ad um, from Patrick and Amy and their team, um, we could uh, launch that um, and run, uh, you know, thousands of surveys um, to essentially collect a lot of data and then measure the impact of that ad of being exposed to that ad. Um, and we did that um, for, you know, uh, hundreds of ads uh, from the Biden campaign. Um, but we also were able to do this uh, with the Trump campaign and uh, other opposition groups. Uh, so as soon as an ad was released, uh, we would um, we would see that come in, um, would launch it into a survey and collect a lot of data um, that allowed us to understand what is the impact of a voter being exposed to this brand new ad. Um, and so uh, for both the opposition messaging and all of this uh, amazing content that the Biden campaign was creating, we were able to essentially assess the impact of a voter being exposed to any individual ad um, and kind of rank those ads, say what types of uh, themes overall were generally effective um, and help uh, the campaign both, you know, decide what types of ads to run, uh, what themes were working, uh, but also uh, what was important to kind of focus on responding to and what uh, equally as importantly to ignore. Yeah, I, I like the concept of the the individual ranking. Uh, one thing you all found was that uh, against uh, conventional political wisdom, attack ads are are less effective. Um, this reminds me of kind of the burger wars in advertising. Um, but uh, uh, what are the other lessons that you know the larger marketing world can take away? Um, you know, in terms of um, you know, we hear this word a lot, authenticity, but also, um, you know, with, with bias. Uh, Patrick, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think just I think I would first question the assumption on, on the, the negative advertising piece. I think, you know, that can be sort of localized to, to potentially to our campaign. I think what we found was that, you know, it was a better 
calories were better spent telling Joe Biden's story and talking about his vision for the future, whether it's directly from him or through messengers, than, you know, oftentimes, you know, launching, uh, you know, an attack hit on Donald Trump. So, you know, while that was true for us, I may not extrapolate that across the board, but it's certainly an interesting finding. I think there are things, though, that, you know, we saw in our research that um, may be useful down the road. You know, I think you touched on the fact that voters, you know, have this incredible BS detector, uh, especially if you're in a state like Arizona or North Carolina, where every seventh, every, you know, hundred thousandth ad is going to be political and you're totally swamped with advertising. The second that something feels like a political communication, voters are really good at tuning that out now. Um, And I think placing a premium on authenticity, on emotion, on telling a story, that all sounds sort of hackneyed and tired, but, you know, those are old truths that are important. And I think how you bring those into the present, how you meet voters where they are, I think is a really important thing. And I'll just give you an example. You know, if you look at our sort of, you know, breadth of advertising across our campaign, whether it was TV or digital, um, you know, we were speaking directly uh, to voters about the things that they were experiencing. And of course, one of those uh, things was uh, the coronavirus pandemic. If you look at Donald Trump's advertising, he mentioned it as a passing sort of glance in an ad towards the end of the election uh, when he was trying to take credit for uh, the vaccine. So, you know, I think just really being in tune with what voters are thinking about and and finding a way to get in there and speak uh, about the ways that you're going to address that is is a tried and true method that I think, um, you know, we will be looking to extrapolate into the future as well. You know, speaking of authenticity, what you are saying almost sounds like, you know, just to speak plainly. And Amy, um, some of the best performing spots uh, were not fancy. Do you think that will um, translate and have kind of bigger um, ripple effects and repercussions on how other ads are made to kind of, you know, keep things simple? Yeah, I think it's sort of an important thing to always go back to. You know, I think as Patrick mentioned, that we we had just such an incredibly talented team from so many industries. And I think there's always, especially when you work in production and probably coming from the political world, of just being so sick of the typical political ads and feeling like, you know, they just don't really hold a candle to traditional advertising and always wanting it to be like good and bigger and better. And so I think the findings that show that simple works. I also think, though, we, I think, also prove that it can be filmed beautifully and at such a high quality, but that, you know, you don't need all of like the light leaks and it doesn't have to be overdone. And as Patrick said, when people have such a BS meter, um, I think it really does help to strip it down. And I also think it's another reason why testimonials often worked because you're not, you're hearing essentially from your neighbor, you're hearing from someone that looks and feels like you and you can relate to. And I also think that's just a powerful a powerful tool in conjunction with the other kinds of um, messages and messengers we use. Yeah. And, and obviously the ones that the campaign created are not like, you know, those overnight infomercials. Um, But what are the lessons that we can take away from, you know, those kinds of testimonials, um, Todd, like what are the, the communication um, keywords or tools that we should keep in mind uh, when making or testing these kinds of spots? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a couple things. I mean, Amy and Patrick found some really compelling um, folk, like, you know, regular folks to tell the story of why um, they were voting for Joe Biden. And I think um, 
a lot of the really effective and most effective ones were uh, folks who were you know, switching. Uh, they had voted for Trump in 2016 and were now voting for Biden, um, whether it was an you know, Pennsylvania farmer, Iowa farmer, or, you know, a Wisconsin small business owner. Um, and so uh, I do think that that creates a permission structure. Um, and that's a really important piece of this where, you know, you're trying to help people bring people along and talk to them, uh, level with them uh, in a really important way. Um, so that was like kind of one big kind of category of uh, testimonial that I think was really effective. Um, uh, another one uh, was uh, another kind of category of spot uh, was really just these clips of Joe Biden's speeches um, where we would test um, a, a short clip um, from uh, any of the really uh, fantastic speeches from that uh, Vice President Biden was giving uh, throughout the cycle. And some of those were the most uh, impactful um, spots. They weren't even really produced ads. And I can let Patrick talk a little bit more about his ideas there. But, um, you know, he <laughs> he uh, sent me a message saying, I, I have an idea. I want to test this out. And uh, we ended up tossing some of these kind of speech clips into our testing and found that they were uh, kind of equally um, as effective, if not more so, than a lot of the kind of overly produced spots. Great. And let's take a little listen to that. We can't deal with an economic crisis until you beat the pandemic. You can't have an economic comeback when almost a thousand Americans die each day from COVID. Mr. President, do your job. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. So now that it is the end of 2020 turning into 2021, uh, <laughs> it's been a crazy year. It's been a probably insane political campaign season for you all. Would any of you do this again or recommend um, people get into it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take a stab. That's, I love that question. I, I would say in a heartbeat, yes. Um, you know, the folks who were on the team are the most talented, resilient, hardest working people I'll probably ever work alongside. Um, and I, I don't just say that. I, I truly mean that. Um, and then you look back at this you know, opus of work that they've produced and whether it's placing media or, or trafficking ads or, or producing ads. And it's just incredible. I mean, like, you know, what, what, what is lost sometimes is in political advertising, like turnaround times are lightning quick, right? So the reason political ads sometimes can look the way they do is because they're on these super fast timelines. So, you know, you have this sort of just breakneck pace and this breakneck scale um, where you're, you know, for for a couple of weeks there, maybe a couple of months, we were probably advertising at a larger scale than the McDonald's and Cokes of the world with this sort of, you know, relatively to the Cokes of the world, scrappy, small team. So that's a very long winded way of saying I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat, um, but I can't speak for others. <laughs> um, Amy, um, what what is next for you um, as as um, the inauguration uh, comes around the corner? I really have no idea, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, after the campaign, you're always reminded by just how exhausted you are and you don't really realize in the time. So once it comes to an end, you're like, wow, I am just exhausted. So I still feel like I'm coming out of that. But yeah, I really don't know. I think, um, you know, it, it reminded me after doing a couple of years doing more traditional advertising that this is why I got into politics in the first place. And this really makes a difference. And obviously this year felt like a deep existential crisis. And that I think that's what, what made our team so special. You know, all, all the folks that came from the other primary campaigns because knew how big this moment in time was. So I would absolutely do it all over again in a second. And I think what comes next, I don't know. I still feel like there's a lot of problems we have to solve and 
Um, I want to figure out a way to be a part of the solution. I'm just not sure what that looks like yet, just yet. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, unfortunately, I have seen, you know, how passion can lead to a little bit of burnout and you absolutely <laughs> deserve a break um, to think about it. So totally. Um, Todd, have you been watching um, the Georgia runoff? Um, any kind of predictions there, whether it's data or messaging related? Yeah, um, I have been watching. Um we, I would say that, you know, anyone that tells you that they know what's going to happen uh, is lying. <laughs> um, it is definitely a toss up. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, the, the teams down there are doing, you know, some really amazing work um, with their paid media programs, um, getting really creative. Obviously, like Patrick said, you know, working um, on a campaign is like a pressure cooker. You, you like, you know, have to uh, be working on really fast turnarounds and uh, being really creative. And so, uh, I think we're seeing that both with the Warnock and Ossoff campaigns. Um, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen, but I think both of those teams are doing um, some really impressive work, both in their, you know, uh, you know, paid media uh, programs, but also in kind of just general voter contact and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, hopefully turning out uh, a lot of Democrats for January 5th. Yeah. Um, I also have been noticing the the TikTok ads um, <laughs> or content. Uh, uh, any last thoughts or resolutions or advice um, for for our larger community? I, I'll take a stab. It's a, it's a big and great question. You know, I think, um, you know, voter behavior changed in a really meaningful way this election cycle. I think there'll be lessons to learn, not just on all the great ad testing that, you know, Todd and the Civis team did, but also, you know, just the interventions we we're looking to make on how people vote, right? And and how lasting is that? You know, is, is the increase in vote by mail, um, using drop boxes, voting early, a product of the pandemic? Maybe, uh, but can we, you know, build that into anything that is more lasting? I think is a really important question that our our party will be, you know, thinking about and working on in the days ahead. Yeah. Um, anyone else? I guess just one thing that I, I've been thinking about is just how almost thinking about your candidate like you would a traditional brand. And I don't really know what the takeaways are. And again, I think it's we will kind of see over time. But I think so much of what we did this cycle was um, constantly harboring back to the Biden brand. So, you know, that permission structure that Todd talked about, never shaming people. What is the kind of story we're telling about who Biden is as a candidate and what this campaign was going to stand for? And I think kind of always having almost that the brand and guiding principles in mind. Um, I'm just curious really like how much that made us effective. And if, if moving forward with other campaigns, if you take a branding mindset, um, yeah, how campaigns will benefit. Yeah. I'd be curious to, you know, what um, political communications 101 um, will look back on this, uh, this year. Um, and, and last but not least again, Todd. Yeah, I think, I mean, just from the testing perspective, um, which is my role uh, in here, um, I do think that you know the just the overall scale of what we were testing, the the turnaround time um, really enabled uh, some uh, you know testing ads was not a week two week long process, and so enabled uh, a lot of scale, a lot of creativity um, with the in house team that uh, Patrick and Amy and team were building, um, and I think that you know. Going forward, uh, there was a lot for us to learn off of, you know, a program that was really data driven, um, wasn't just kind of winging things, but was saying, 
you know, we're going to test uh, all of these things, throw, throw this brand new clip into testing um, and see what works. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had a lot of meta analysis that we could build on and it was creating a whole library of things for us to, to pull from um, towards the end of the cycle to say, you know, we want to do something that's going to work. Um, you know, let's look back at our whole library of what we've tested. Um, I think that that's a really uh, unique and kind of novel approach uh, and will definitely continue making uh, an impact in the space in the future. Well, um, I do want to, you know, say congratulations again um, to being part of a historic year <laughs> from so many levels. And um, thank you so much, uh, Patrick Bonsignori, Amy Romanow, and Todd Harris for joining us on this episode. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And this episode was produced by Co-M with editing by Leigh McGibney and music by Home. Please subscribe to our podcast. You can also email us podcast at adweek.com. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. With the end of the third-party cookie fast approaching, it's time to assess how your business may be affected and explore new methods for targeting advertising and media measurement. Take the first step with the Institute for Brand Marketing, designed in collaboration with IBM Watson Advertising and Adweek. Our latest complimentary course, Marketing in a Cookieless World, is made up of four short lessons designed to help you navigate a changing world. Visit adweek.com forward slash IBM to get started. That's adweek.com forward slash IBM. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.